Welcome back to the Everyone's a Football Critic podcast with me, Zach, and as always, my co-host, Cal. Callum, how are you doing? I'm not bad. I'm not bad. As you can probably hear, my voice is a little bit on the ropes. The past week or so of celebrating finishing uni has really caught up with me. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. I've got been watching lots of football, got lots of football coming up this week. What's not to like? Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same. My voice is on the ropes as well. I've got a little bit of a sore throat. But we are powering through. Um, so today we're going to obviously do a little bit of a roundup of game week one, focused predominantly on England during the first half. And then we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments from the other games and some of our least favourite moments from the other games and hopefully just have a little bit of a discussion about what's happened. So we'll kickstart with um, the England game. So obviously we opened our campaign against Croatia um, in Group D. Uh, what were your general thoughts on the game, Cal? Uh, I thought it was a good game. I thought we looked pretty good, to be honest. I don't think Croatia were that threatening. I can't think of a save Pickford had to make, really. Um, there might have been a couple, but not like it's not like they were missing big chances. A couple of questionable decisions within the lineup, but overall, I'd say pretty positive. We we won the game, which is all that matters really in a tournament. You can play as shit as you like. Getting the points on the board is really important. I don't think having watched the we'll obviously come on to it, but having watched the Scotland Czech game and the England game we should really be beating both of them sort of looking not not to dismiss them but having watched that we we should be beating both of them no trouble really yeah absolutely it was a really um, it was a positive game to come out of I thought I think as you say obviously the most important thing is getting the points on the board but I do think what was really nice as well we did we did definitely deserve to win that game I think we were the better side um, for pretty much the entire 90 minutes we created a couple of really nice chances. Obviously, the one that we scored, Kane had that really nice opportunity at the back post, and a, and a, a bit a bit more kind of um, decisiveness in the final third. We probably could have uh, got ourselves into a better position. Obviously, Foden hit the post as well. Post, yeah. So it, you know, on another that was so yeah, close. that was close. <laughs> on on, a, on another, another day, that's three nil, and or at least one of those other ones goes in. In um, particularly Kane's, you you kind of expect him to be scoring that. But yeah, I agree. I think. Um, it was it was all really positive. You mentioned some of those um, interesting lineup decisions. I think the big ones were obviously Trippier at left back, uh, starting Phillips in the double pivot alongside Rice, or slightly ahead of Rice actually, as it turned out. But we'll talk about that. Um, and then obviously starting Sterling as well. Um, so and starting Mings, I would say. Oh yeah, and I think yeah, that's probably fair yeah. enough. We should probably start with both yes. of us have, yeah. <laughs> have spent the past three episodes slagging him off <laughs> for. Well, always having a mistake in him, which he absolutely does. And stand by that. He played an excellent game. Didn't put a foot wrong. I think he'll probably start the next game as a result of that. I was very impressed with him. I think it's important not to forget, however, that he is still that same player. He's not just... He's not lost the ability to make a mistake just because he's playing really well. And it's all about being... um, proactive rather than reactive and sort of looking actually what are the issues that could come from this lineup so regardless of the fact that we won i would say our our back four was probably the weakest sort of group of players in our side on the pitch so yeah. this wouldn't be opposed to any changes 
I, I think that's that's a fair point because I think when you look at that lineup come out, uh, you obviously see there being some weaknesses there. And I think what concerned me was you're playing Mings on the left hand side of that two because he's left footed to help him build up, but then you're playing Trippier as a right footed left back which completely negates any of the benefits that you get from playing a left with a centre-back to begin with. And Mings actually isn't that good in build-up, and we tend to build up quite slowly. But it worked yesterday because we weren't building up slowly at the back. We were hitting the channels quite quickly to bypass Croatia's midfield. So both the Mings and Trippier decision actually worked out okay because Trippier is a better defender than either of our other two left-back options. And Southgate didn't really care what he was going to do on the ball. It's the same on the other side with Walker. He wasn't bothered about whether they could build up well down that hand, that down that left hand side or the right hand side for Walker. We were just trying to hit the channels and hit um, Sterling really quickly so that we wouldn't have to deal with uh, Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic in the midfield. And that's basically how we won that midfield battle. So that's not going to be the case against Scotland because we won't be trying to bypass their midfield because they play with a back five. So. At that point, I think that's when those decisions will probably uh, be a bit more of a concern. But obviously, it depends. I think this lineup decision and the success of it just goes to show that Southgate clearly does have an idea with how he wants to play. And if if the lineup comes out now against Scotland and he does have something a little bit questionable, I will probably assume that he does have an idea for it rather than just thinking that's a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a mistake. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Mings in particular had a, had a really good game defensively. And Trippier was okay defensively as well, but what about what about what about Calvin Phillips then? Oh, he was great. Um, that must have been really enjoyable for you to watch as a Leeds fan. Um, I- I've always been a big fan of his. I remember you saying like a couple of years ago when you were in the Championship, he should be getting a look in at the England side. He he's proved everyone of all the players in the team, he's the one who's kind of been doubted the most, I guess, mm. and he's really stepped up and shut everyone up. Um, I found it really interesting. So it was obviously when the lineups came out, it was looked at as kind of a four-two-three-one. Um, at, at some points, it almost felt as a four-three-three because of how high Phillips and Mount were pushing. It was almost as as if they were kind of the centre mids. We had Rice as sort of a single pivot with them. Like there were points where Phillips was higher up the pitch than Mount, mm. and Mount was the one dropping back. It wasn't like Mount was in the ten roll. No, it was re- it was just he was Phillips didn't put a foot wrong, put some really good passes in. I think he got the assist for the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, the match for me. Yeah, I think easily. I think that's what that's what impressed me because I think I, I've always I've been a big fan of Phillips, obviously for Leeds, and also thought that he's got a lot of unfair criticism for England. Essentially, because you look at a Rice Phillips double pivot, you think that's so conservative. Those that, that's two holding midfield players. Mm-hmm. Why are we playing two holding midfield players? But Phillips wasn't a holding midfield player today and he shocked me at how well he played the box-to-box eight role. As you say, like he got forward beautifully. I mean, for that goal, I've, ne- I've never seen Calvin Phillips carry the ball so well. That was that was really impressive but he managed to get involved in the attack a lot more than he ever has the, the license to for Leeds. So that, that was that was really impressive. I mean, you're right, it basically did end up being a a 4-3-3 with basically mounters in an advanced eight over in the the left the left channel he was drifting into the left half spaces a lot Phillips was more box to box on the right hand side um, but would get up and down and in defensive transition would basically drop in alongside Rice to keep things a little bit tighter but 
yeah, I mean, it was it, it was great. He basically played Phillips as he might play Henderson or something like that. So that was that was really terrific. And he even I'm not surprised at how well Calvin Phillips played, but I am shocked at how well he played in that role. I just didn't think that that would necessarily be something he could do that effectively. But he was absolutely magnificent. I I, I think the biggest compliment I can give to him is that I saw multiple people uh, tweeting out on Sunday just saying. I could not have been more wrong about Calvin Phillips. Like, he's fully shut me up, proved wrong. And I love that. That's like, sort of being willing to go, yeah, we gave him a bit of a harsh time, but actually, bloody hell, what a player. Because mm, he was, he was just excellent. He, he, was, he was terrific. I mean, I think the I think the apprehension of having him play alongside Rice was understandable, but he just didn't do that. He just, he just played as a box-to-box eight and was, was brilliant. I mean, he he had a hundred percent passing accuracy as well in the first half. I think he finished the game with about ninety seven percent or something. I mean that that's unbelievable for for a game where you're playing in the midfield up against Modric, Modric, Brozovic, and Kovacic. I mean what a performance from Calvin Phillips. And I mean that that's absolutely just just fabulous. And I think it's interesting now how fickle football can get because nobody will question the decision to start him against Scotland and everyone will be clamouring for him to start they would be concerned if he didn't start and I think that's quite funny going from one extreme to the other but yes well done Calvin Phillips that was absolutely terrific so what about what about Raheem Sterling then because I think naturally there was a, a clamouring for Grealish to start this game after the season he's had with Villa and also the impact he's made in the England teams that he's been involved with so Sterling what do you think? yeah um we kind of said it on the last episode. You were definitely more more for it than I was, but I kind of we we both touched on the need for or the the similarities between all the other sort of attacking midfielders in the squad. Um, that sort of all of them, e- even Rashford, who's got a bit of pace, they prefer the ball into feet and then be running at people. Whereas Sterling's the sort of the only like traditional winger who will he's obviously not quite a traditional winger but he's the only guy who'll who'll run and stretch the opposition and give those creative players space to create um and he did just that he did exactly what he was there to do um he scored which is great Mm -hmm. for him first goal at um a major international Mm -hmm. tournament i think yeah. Which is when they said that, I was kind of thought back and was like, "Yeah, it is," but that was quite a surprising stat. I thought he had a decent game. I think, I think he'll probably end up starting against Scotland for the same reason. But I wouldn't be too surprised seeing him pushed onto the right with Grealish coming in. Mm. But I, I or, or that could be the other way around. That could be Grealish shoved onto the right and like uh, out of <laughs> position because I think we're probably more likely to line up with a three against Scotland. Yeah. But then again, we thought that before this game. So. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk We'll talk about Scotland in a minute, but I do think that actually, if you were to play Sterling, given that Tierney is injured, um, so hasn't been playing on the left side of that back three, the space to exploit is actually probably on the right-hand side of that Scotland uh, defence. So maybe Sterling playing down the left to get in behind might still be actually a viable option but then the other the other question is that they play you know a back five with two sitters uh well i guess more like one sitter 
So maybe maybe playing someone like Grealish should get on the ball and sort of pull some strings is is maybe the right decision. But um, yeah, in terms of Sterling in the Croatia game, yeah, he he, he was excellent. I mean, he's wake, making runs in behind all all, all afternoon long. Um, got the ball sometimes, didn't get it other times, but pulled that space out. It worked well as well because then I, the balance between Sterling, Mount, and Foden just seemed right. I mean, Sterling was getting in behind a lot. He was coming in field to make those sort of like runs across the back of defenders, those sort of blindside runs, really asking questions. And Mount was drifting into those left half spaces a lot because, as we say, he was more of a, an advanced eight rather than sort of taking up the central positions very often. So that gave Kane the space to drop back as well. So Sterling kind of bombing on in behind meant that Mount could drift into those left half spaces and Kane could drop into the 10 roll. And then Foden just kind of does, well, what Foden does over on the right-hand side. I mean, I thought he had a decent game as well. I think we need to get him on the ball a little bit more, but he looked dangerous when he got it. Um, so yeah, easily the right decision. So glad that he got a goal um, as well, because I think that just just shuts people up a little bit. I mean, given Calvin Phillips' man of the match performance and Raheem Sterling goal, I mean, that just... That just, I think a lot of people have just put their hands up and said, maybe Southgate knows what he's doing a little bit more than we gave him credit for. And I think, me included, I wasn't sure that he was going to be making the best decisions here, but I thought that worked out absolutely wonderfully. And mm-hmm. Sterling had a great game, I thought. Yeah, um, you're saying just about Kane dropping deep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to that because it's something he did at the last World Cup as well and it's something I know he does a little bit for Tottenham but not to the extent he does for England he's almost he does he drops he he, he was just so deep so much of the time and it wasn't he was sort of he would get the ball and then he's meant to be the most far forward player there's no one else there in front of him because it's not I don't know it's not Tottenham where you've got a son running down the wing or whoever I don't know if it's a Kane decision or a Southgate decision it's just something I, I always wonder he was there were multiple points in the game where I thought you are bafflingly deep and you don't need to be um and I think I think as a result that gets him quite a bit of probably unnecessary stick uh there was oh there was a Sky article I saw yesterday which was questioning whether he should start or not and it it does bug me because I don't think any other nation's media would question oh we've got the best striker in the world should he be sc- starting hmm like yes obviously he should be starting but I don't know how well utilised he is being currently which is surprising given I don't know he's good enough that you'd think the team should be sort of built to get him scoring yeah I think that's that's fair but he does do it a lot for Spurs and it's just that Spurs don't have any of the ball so when he does do it it's in transition so that you don't see him there as often because he just drops deep gets the ball turns and plays the pass and then that's it whereas we had a little bit more of the ball than Spurs tend to have um, when we play Croatia so I think he was just more noticeably deep and I agree there were there were occasions where he was picking the ball up at the halfway line and then turning into banks of Croatian players and you think that's not really beneficial but I think I think it's a, a mixture between two. I think Southgate's just given him enough rope to kind of just do that because he's built the team in a way that that space is there for him to drift into. And I think essentially him dropping deep helped create the goal because he drops deep, pulls a centre back out when Phillips then goes past um, 
one of the Croatian players and then that leaves the space for Sterling to make that diagonal run that he was making all day long in behind Phillips slips him through and that's a goal so Kane is Kane's dropping deep did help facilitate that goal um, I think if I think basically if, if Kane scores that chance I don't think anyone questions how deep he was dropping I think it's just because he just didn't he, he wasn't perceived as being involved in the game so much and you're going to have some of those you're going to have some of those um, but hopefully he can sort of pick up two or three goals against the against Scotland and Czech Republic and then he'll be he'll be flying but I'm, I'm not I, I, I agree I mean the question of whether he should start is absolutely ridiculous I mean he's clearly one of the one of two of the best strikers in the world and I'm sure he'll he'll find his shooting boots and that drifting deep will work better in some games than it will in others that's just the reality I think the other thing then is in the squad itself Sancho and Chilwell were left out now I've, I've heard conflicting reports about injuries and stuff I know Sancho was at one stage injured but on the day a couple of journos did say that they weren't injured they were just left out so obviously we're, the situation is that obviously we've got a 26 man squad but on match days you can only have 23 and you have to have three goalkeepers so that's why oh do you yeah. have to I yeah. didn't realise that yeah. I well, that's something I was going to question because I saw both us mm. and Croatia had two goalkeeper yeah. subs which I thought was a questionable yeah it, that, so I, you obviously wouldn't do that under normal circumstances but yeah so that, that's the situation because in a in a normal circumstances you have to have three goalkeepers in your 23 man squad yeah so Sancho and Chilwell were left out now if they're injured fair enough but if they're not strange don't you think yeah, um, I think leaving Sancho out is worse than leaving Chilwell out because I think, like realistically, we don't we we don't need more than one left back on the bench. Um, and Shaw's perfectly capable, mm. uh, and probably a bit better in a four as well. Um, so would would be the choice to have on the bench. Sancho is a bizarre one because some people were talking about him potentially starting which I don't mm. I don't think I ever really saw happening but he's a really good player and I just it was it was kind of summed up when Rashford came on off the bench but then came on and sort of it wasn't like he was running at the opposition he just came on and kind of played the same role that a Grealish or whoever on the bench or, or a Sancho rather would have would have played and I feel like I mean I've got written down I, I I don't know why he came on not Grealish but I'd probably have brought Sancho on mm. before I would have brought Rashford on at the point in the game that he was brought on and for the role he was brought on to do so who have you got um, written down who wasn't in the squad who missed out which three um, it was Sancho Chilwell and Maguire Maguire oh, so Maguire course, obviously okay. injured I, I agree with you in particularly with the Rashford point because Rashford's not fit. Like Rashford isn't fully fit. Um so why why you wouldn't leave him out instead of Sancho perhaps? Unless of course Sancho's fit. I want to caveat everything we're saying mm-hmm. here with the fact that if they if they weren't fit, but I don't think Southgate came out and said that they weren't fit. No. So we're going with the assumption that both players are fully fit and ready to start. Yeah, exactly. And I think given uh, the point on Chilwell I think is fair. Because, as you say, we started two right-backs yesterday, one at left-back. So then you only need one left-back on the bench, and that's sure. And obviously then you need Reese James on the bench, therefore, because he's the only 
substitute right back proper like out and out right back but the decision to leave out Sancho for let's say Saka in the squad I think is bizarre you could have had both Rashford and Sancho or if Rashford's still like nursing something do you really need him in this squad for that first game maybe just put Sancho in but look that that is what it is I just thought that that was a little bit bizarre and I hope that there isn't any issues there because um, I really like Sancho even though he hasn't really torn it up for England ever I would like to see him get a proper opportunity because he always he's one of those players you just want to see on the ball like you just love watching mm-hmm. him on the ball I think he's a <clears throat> slightly different player than lots of England fans expect him to be mm. because you kind of hear oh he's he's a uh, skillful winger you almost expect him to be that pacey running at people mm. like really just sort of having them on toast and, <laughs> and running in and mm. doing something magical he's not that sort of player he's kind of more similar to that Grealish creative side as opposed to Sterling running in behind um, so I think that potentially contributes to like n- like negative attitudes surrounding him and, and also that that's just comes from that like mo- most people watch the the league of their own country most often mm. you don't he's kind of the obviously fans have seen him pretty much just in the champions league really yeah yeah i, I agree with that i think ho- hopefully we see him against scotland at least in the squad um mm. but we'll see exactly what the circumstances there i'm sure so on croatia in general i didn't think they were very good what about you no i didn't i thought even Modric was their best player um, but I don't think that's saying much I thought he had a relatively quiet game for his own standards certainly um, Croatia were the team who everyone thought who who have sort of been talked about as if we if England finish second it would sort of be great mm. assumed that Croatia finished first they were just fairly lethargic I think that's the word I used to describe them they weren't like I said earlier I don't think Pickford had a save to make I certainly don't remember one he had a lot of time on the ball which really really benefited him actually he played some really really good balls over the top which I, I think could have been prevented by Croatia as well there was kind of there were a good couple which he played just straight off the ground not even like a, a drop kick and I feel like if Croatia just had someone pressing him, he wouldn't have had as much time there. And I know you, you don't need to be you don't need to be a high pressing team all the time. When you're playing the keeper with arguably the best distribution in the world, I feel like if there's ever a player to press, it's him. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um yeah, I th- I thought they were quite disappointing. I think they, they basically just struggled to get like Perisic and Kramaric into the game. And the 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 concern was always going to be their midfield unit, and we basically won the midfield battle by just bypassing the midfield. We just didn't let them have the ball at all, and it's amazing how poor Croatia look when Modric isn't on the ball. Um, so a mix of just kind of like hitting it quite long from Mings, basically hitting the channels quite quickly, and also the likes of Phillips in particular. But Rice as well having really good games in defensive transition and like putting in some really really strong tackles early doors and just shutting out any opportunity they got on the ball 
we managed to just sort of nullify their threat completely. So fair play to Southgate and fair play to that midfield unit of Rice, Phillips in particular, and also Mount to a lesser extent because I, they, they were they were brilliant. So yeah, I don't really fancy Croatia's chances much. They'll probably still get out of that group, um, but they were not particularly sort of dynamic. Um, and then Scotland then. So we both watched the Scotland-Czech Republic game. Are you concerned? Not really. I don't... I, I was quite flippant watching the game, quite dismissive. They they struggled to score against a not very good Czech Republic side. Um, that just... When we're on it, that, that second Czech Republic goal was just mm. <laughs> lovely. It kind of... It looks... I don't know if you saw the angle from behind the goal. It... Um, it just kind of looks like a, a clever lob of the keeper, but then you see the angle behind the goal and the whip on the ball was just mad. But yeah, they didn't. The sort of all all the positive stuff came down the left and pretty much came from Robertson crossing it in. I I think Walker should be okay with sort of handling that, or or even Trippier or James. They're like I. I Oh, I don't have too many worries about that. Um, I think Mings is very solid in the box at just clearing the ball and winning headers. If that's going to be their tactic against us, I wouldn't be overly concerned. They they looked... You mentioned the injuries journey earlier. They did look... They just looked a little weaker up that left-hand side because they were trying to do the same thing, but it, it just wasn't... It didn't come off quite as well without journey there he kind of you, you need that sort of player to be in the system they're playing I think that they were trying to do a similar thing to what they do when Tierney's in the squad but on the other side I think basically McTominay was dreadful in midfield like he wasn't a good screener um, but then they were pushing um, Hendry as the right centre back up really high and O'Connell even further up Um with then McGinn coming over to the right-hand side to try and overload that right-hand side and then switch to an isolated Robertson on the other side. Christie as well was playing up top alongside Dyke and he was drifting out to the right as well. So they're really overloading that right-hand side and then switching to Robertson. They, I agree in the general kind of conclusion that we should be beating Scotland, but I think they'll cause us more problems than, the, than Croatia did. They were the much better side against Czech Republic for the entire mm. game and lost out to just I mean two moments of magic from Schick and also just terrible finishing themselves but my concern if we played a four against them my concern would be that Christie playing up up front alongside Dyke drifts a lot he's basically a winger playing as a striker and if he manages to pull Mings out of position which I think he'll be able to do then that leaves Stones very isolated and will cause us a problem. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what we do there to to kind of try and cope with that. I'm sure Southgate will be aware of the fact that they'll try and overload the right-hand side, probably, unless Tierney's back and then they might change things slightly. But I think they'll still quite like the idea of isolating Robertson. The issue with isolating Robertson is, yeah, he's your best player, but he is still a left-back, so he's not exactly clinical when it comes to shooting. Like, he had that one great... Well, not a great opportunity, but he had that one opportunity where they broke through and he had that shot. And you just think, 
Robertson probably isn't the most dangerous person from that position. Um, but I do think they'll cause us problems. We should be winning, but I do think that we pr- it's probably worth playing the five just because then, actually, if you play Mings, for example, even in the five, he can just follow Christie. Just follow him out wide. Um, and then you've still got two central defenders in position guarding Dyke and any late runs from a midfielder like McGeehan or Armstrong, both of which are really good players that carry a goal threat. So we'll see what happens there. Obviously, McTominay was really poor as a single pivot, so I think we can exploit that. But yeah, I think I think, I think we, should, we should be winning, but I don't think probably um, write them off too much, particularly because they looked a lot better when Adams came on as well. He provided a lot. Definitely. Um, I was surprised he didn't start. Yeah, I think it's because they wanted to... Because I, I think in their heads, it's Dyke and one other. And I think he wanted... And Christie was good. Like, Christie is pulling players out and stuff. Mm. It just wasn't as effective because uh, the Czech Republic are really nice and compact. But che, whereas Che Adams is a bit more... He's a bit more varied. He'll drop off. He'll drop into midfield. He'll, he'll push on. He's, he's a bit better on the ball as well. So... Um, yeah, I, I I can see Adam starting instead of him against us, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, right then, unless you've got anything else to say about that England game, do you want to move on to the the rest of game week one? Yeah. Go on, then we've got a few categories that we're going to go through. Yeah, so, favourite game? I actually really really enjoyed that Hungary Portugal game yesterday I thought it was uh, yesterday was actually a great game of a great day for football all round to be honest both games were good but um it was a very very physical game which I love um there was some hard tackles going in the referee was letting a lot go but kind of for both teams I thought he managed it quite well it, it, it was a really good game I thought Hungary might have made it out but as soon as that first goal went in it was, pre- it was pretty clear they were going to concede a couple more that 3-0 scoreline at the end it sort of they were unfortunate to concede them all right at the end but I think that's probably a fair scoreline for the overall state of the game yeah I was, I was going to say it was one of those that looked like it was heading towards a 0-0 draw and I didn't think I think up until the 85th minute I don't think Portugal had done enough to win the game and then suddenly they did do enough in the last five ten minutes mm. to win the game three 0 um, it, it was quite it was quite bizarre. But also, I, I do just think there is the one one slight clarification there that they got that first goal through a pretty wicked deflection, then a fairly soft penalty. I think it was probably a penalty, but a fairly soft penalty, and then a moment of to be fair brilliance from Ronaldo for that third goal. That's a really so good goal. it was a really I think good goal. Credit credit to the I'm not sure who it was with him. But the young lad who he played that one-two with, I think, has to have a lot of credit as well. Silver. Cause in that, po- yeah, because yeah. in that position, I think it was him. In that position, it's very easy to just turn around and have a shot yourself, mm. especially two 0 up. Yeah. But to play it back, it was a really, really yeah. good goal. I think, yeah, I think that was great. I, I, I do think that it's a bit of a concern though for Portugal because I do, I do think they weren't great, and I think basically they. They played two really deep sixes. I mean, they played... Um, usually they just had Danilo screen, but they had um, Cavallo basically playing alongside him as well in that double pivot. And you did not need two 
players sitting that deep. And as soon as they brought Renato Sanchez on, who just started carrying the ball a lot more, they looked a lot better. So hopefully they carry that on um, and just start him in the next game because otherwise I think they might struggle. From uh, Just quickly from um, that group as well, France-Germany, really, mm. really good game. Very end-to-end. One of one of the most entertaining one nils I've watched in a while, um, and I think something something to bear in mind with that, the XG map has been thrown around quite a lot. Mm. Uh, where, where Germany had quite a, like a larger XG than France, mm-hmm. XG obviously doesn't take into account shots from an offside position, rightfully so, clearly. Mm. But I, I just think just to point out that that XG is kind of misleading about the way the game went mm. um, though those two France had two goals ruled correctly offside mm. but they they were kind of they were good chances it was yeah. it was only slightly offside um, and oh VAR it's just so much better just the Europeans seem to do it far better it mm. doesn't take three years and some man with a ruler and lines that, that don't even cross for him to piss around trying to work out if it's offside or not yeah it was it was done a lot better I must say I felt robbed of those two goals because I thought they were absolutely brilliant oh um, the Mbappe one. <laughs> oh yeah that, that was that was unbelievable but yeah I, I think that's a good point because I think XG as well just doesn't take into account chances that could lead to shots that were never taken so you've got to consider that as well what was your favourite game I think that my favourite game was probably the Netherlands against the Ukraine. Yeah, um, that was a really good one. I thought that was that. really good. I was a little bit surprised by how expansive the Ukraine were, which was really, really nice to see. I also was surprised that the Netherlands were poor in the way that they were. I kind of didn't expect them to be so bad in midfield um, and just kind of then be letting the Ukraine wander through them. But, you know, a couple of wonderful goals from the Ukraine. And I thought Dumfries was excellent for the Netherlands. Um, Deserved the winner. Yeah, Memphis had a good game as well. Um, Good goal from Wijnaldum. Nice to see him uh, pushing up a little bit higher for the Netherlands. So, really enjoyable game. I like the Netherlands, but I was a little disappointed that they managed to go on and score the winner. Just because I love that little underdog story and it gives them something to fight for. But it was well deserved in the end. Yeah, I did fancy a draw, to be honest. But there we go. It, w- it was a really it was a really fun game um, so then what was your favourite individual performance so an individual player that's a good question you you <laughs> we'll go your one first and I'll have a think okay okay um, so I'm probably going to go with Locatelli in the Italy game mm-hmm. that fir- first that game of the tournament he was absolutely terrific just as a a progressive sort of deeper eight um, and that midfield unit you know, of Jorginho, him and Barella was so, so nice. And I just thought he was just consistently getting Italy up the pitch um, and just causing problems in both boxes, being a really nice defensive player when he dropped back, but really helping um, instigate the attacks as well. So that was great. But um, a sort of shout out as well to Dumfries in the Netherlands game um, who was who was great as that right wing back gave him a lot of license to get forward and then also Koke in the Spain game I thought Spain were a little bit disappointing in that they 
passed a lot for passing's sake um, and didn't really create as much as you might want from them. They just didn't look that dangerous, even though they also kept Sweden very quiet um, for the most part, other than uh, Isaac, who had a great game. Um, but Koke, they had Marcus Lorente playing at right back, but Koke would sort of drift into there when Lorente pushed up into the right half space. And then also Koke was just properly box to box and was just looking, he was everywhere. And some of his passing was just really, really lovely. So um, sort of special shout out to him as well. Um, so what about you? Got any ideas? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Kante just because I thought oh, he's he's man of the match in almost every game he plays. He's just so good. There is... He, he intercepts everything. If you put a ball, like, not even vaguely near him, if you, if you put up... If you pass and he's on the pitch, there's a very high mm. chance your pass is getting intercepted. <laughs> he, um... He's so unique. He really allows France to play in the way they do. So they play that four-four-two diamond with him sort of on the right-hand side, um, with base. Pogba on the left. Pardon? Uh, he, he plays at the base of it. Is he? Who was? Yeah. Wait, who was on the right last night? It was Rabiot. Oh, I th- oh yeah, of course. It, I think Rabiot is a very good it, yeah, player. It's more. Well. It's more of a pivot to be fair, because Rabiot drops quite deep, but. Um, but yeah. but uh, anyway, Kante allows so Fran- France don't really have an attacking set <laughs> like they don't their attacking tactic. They're so like fluid and unique. They almost they go actually our front three of sort of Griezmann a bit deeper with behind Benzema and Mbappe up front. These are some really really talented, intelligent footballers. Let's just let them do what they do. Mm. Um, go with. The sort of let let's let one of them win it with a moment of magic, um, as Mbappe that the goal that was disallowed nearly mm. did. That would have been probably goal of the tournament so far. Yeah, uh, it was one of those you're always just like, we know it's offside, but go on, give it anyway. Yeah. Like the Germans won't complain. Mm. But Kante allows them to play in that way because mm. they probably like I don't know the stats on it, but I would imagine France lose the ball in the final third a lot more than most other teams because they do just mm. go actually you three make your own decisions go for it mm. um, and they've got quite good chemistry together as well which uh, helps obviously but it, me- it means they-, they lose the ball Kante wins it back recycles it to Pogba who mm. then plays in on the front three yeah. and they're just attacking again And it, yeah. but it did it meant that against Germany it was a very box to box game because Kante was constantly winning it back and then France were attacking all those times where Germany were able to bypass Kante Mm. Germany got on a good attack it was just a really enjoyable enjoyable watch and I think that's mostly down to how how good Kante is yeah it's it's amazing how good Pogba can be as well when he plays alongside some Mm. competent midfield players having that solidity of Kante and Rabiot just really helps him just flourish (laughs) So that that was great to see. Pog Pogba's another one that should be in the discussion for um, yeah best individual performance because he was he was brilliant. I think that's the best I've seen him play for a long time. Yeah, but b- biggest surprise then. Ooh, so uh, are we talking team or individual? Uh, whatever you want. But yeah, I, I'm going to go with the controversial one here. Biggest surprise was UEFA forcing Denmark and Finland to play on uh, when yeah. when one of their players has just temporarily died on the pitch, which is. Uh, quite frankly disgusting that yeah. they put out a statement as well that um, 
that that implied that it had been the player's decision when when it, it hadn't they were basically told you have to finish the game you can do it now or or in a few hours they it, it was one of two and they chose one it, and and then uefa put it out as if they'd come in and gone no no we really want to play the game on for ericsson it's like that's not what had happened at all as evidenced by their captain having to come off 15 minutes after the restart because he couldn't cope which is absolutely fair if you're allowed if you're allowed to delay a game for 48 hours because of covid protocol surely surely a player dying and being resuscitated on the pitch qualifies <laughs> under emergency <laughs> protocol yeah. of some sort i just thought i was i wasn't actually yeah most surprising i wasn't remotely surprised the next day when i saw the statement come out from the danish players saying actually we were given these two shitty choices and we chose shitty option a over shitty option b yeah i it, it was poorly handled i think at the very least they should have played the next morning um mm-hmm. and i mean hindsight's a wonderful thing but also if they played the next morning they would have known that ericsson was awake feeling a lot better mm-hmm and undergoing the procedures to figure out exactly what it was that happened to him. And they would have just had a lot more information and probably felt a lot more comfortable playing. So that was that that was poor. And obviously all the television camera stuff was really, really poor. And as I understand it, I think UEFA are in control of the, 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 the cameras that are showing. Um, so what exactly it is that is being filmed, although the BBC should have just cut to the studio as well, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I think it's been talked to death, um, but yeah, and I, I, you know, we're we're in we're no means the experts on this, but that was that was really poorly handled. And I think UEFA should have a a real long look at themselves about exactly what it is that they're they're prioritising here. Yeah, and it is it's been said before, but the the BBC obviously should have cut to the studio. But what what sort of a person is able to see someone like that on the pitch and point their camera and zoom in at them as opposed to going like? this is horrible let let's not film this yeah absolutely absolutely so all all we can really say is thank god that he's okay hopefully absolutely hopefully he can be back with his with his wife and kids as soon as possible Mm. and um that's the priority right now and you know fingers crossed at some point maybe he can get back to playing football but Mm. obviously that isn't the priority right now just glad that he's okay and i think the way everyone kind of united around him was 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 beautiful, and I think those Dan- Danish players should feel a lot of pride for how they handled that situation as well because they, they yeah, were they were fantastic. Absolutely. Biggest surprise for you then, Zach? I think my biggest surprise is probably England being legitimately in the discussion for the tournament. I think when when you look at, I don't, I don't think I don't think they will necessarily win it. I don't think they've put in the best performance but I think when you look at the other people that are competing here Portugal France for example I don't think they sort of put in performances that were far superior to what it is that England have done and have the potential to do so I do just think I was a little bit down on them but I think actually England now I think being semi-finalists really is something that they should legitimately be looking towards and thinking that they can do because I do think that we we look like one of the top four teams in this tournament. Yes, so definitely. I think that's probably my decision. Although, again, shout out to uh, Ukraine. I thought that was a, a surprise and a really yeah. nice one. And also Germany not being quite as dreadful as I thought they were going to be. 
Germany were okay last night. It was a more even... I'd say France deserved to win, but it was a much more even game than I expected it to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, biggest disappointment then, finally. So, I, I'm, I didn't... I didn't watch the opening game, but mm. from what I've seen, Turkey basically didn't have a sniff. Um, I looked at the the pressure map, and it was kind of normally when a team's really dominant, there's maybe like a couple of sort of dips to the other team's way on the pressure map. It didn't. There wasn't like a a mark towards Turkey the entire game, which I don't think I've ever seen before. They were they were kind of they were talked as everyone's dark horses before the tournament, and I mean credit to Italy because from what I've heard, Italy were just dominant and absolutely. But but uh, like I, I kind of I was hoping Turkey might cause a little upset. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. Uh, so I'm going to be boring and say the same as you because I have Turkey down as well. I did have Turkey down as a bit of a dark horse. I still think they'll do okay. I think they'll finish second in that group. Um, but that was a really poor start. I could talk. I talk for hours, but I won't about how well Italy played. Um, mm. But yeah, t- t- Turkey didn't really have anything. They sat really did that to change their entire midfield after about an hour because they were just knackered. Um, and other than that, I think uh, Yakuslu, the lad that's been at West Brom this year, played very well. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, they did. They didn't get the ball forward to uh, Yilmaz at all. And you're not. You're not gonna. You're not going to benefit from what he can offer if you don't get closer to him and start getting yeah. him involved in the game so that was a real shame um, but hopefully they can uh, step it up in their next game but yeah I think that's probably about it then isn't it um, yeah I think so well thank you very much for listening to this episode we'll be back in about uh, four or five days whenever the the next game week ends to do a round up of that please like subscribe whatever it is download it that you can do Check us out on social media at EAFC underscore podcast. And yeah, see you soon. Thank you very much for listening.